Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright, and today we are going to look at the readings for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, specifically the Gospel lesson, St. Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, where Jesus is continuing to teach his disciples and exposing how we are to live and what are we to do, and especially when it comes to conversion, sanctification, living out the faith. And Jesus has some, well, I won't say harsh things to say, but but pointed things. And so just beginning with uh, verse 1, and Jesus said to his disciples, and I, I got a question for you to ponder on this. The disciples, of course, will mean the 12 men who are following Jesus. But then we also have the 72, the the greater disciples. And then the other aspect to the title disciple is you and me, the current followers of Jesus. And so the, the question I have, Jesus is absolutely continually speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, the revealed revelation through the Holy Scriptures. But the whole idea is, how is Jesus continuing to speak to you? And we hear, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. And right here, it gets a little interesting. And what I mean by that is the simple fact that how does sin happen? Well, first of all, we are born sinful. We are uh, we have the propensity to sin. It's actually just our, our default nature. I like to tell our young catechumens, did you have to be taught how to misbehave or did that just come natural? And of course, about this time, the class erupts into chaos and proves my point that we have to actually teach how to rightly behave, rightly understand good things and so on and so forth. Our natural inclination is to sin, is to do wrong things. So the question now is, so where does sin come from? Well, it comes from my flesh. It comes from all the things that I think, say, and do. It's just what I do because that is what I am. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. So does sin just come from me? But we hear, but woe to the one through whom the sins, the temptations come. And that means that my actions, my words actually can and unfortunately do influence people that they might sin, that they might fall prey to temptations. And this is terrifying. What have I said? What have I done that have caused others to sin, that have caused others to rebel against God's word, against his commandments, against his will? 
And so we need to be really careful with this because we are all sinful and we are all guilty of this. And that is a scary position to be into. And especially with this next verse that Jesus says about you, about me, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he, that then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And right here, Jesus is making this really big point and very scary point that as sinners, we deserve death. And this isn't just the, the natural death. This is death of damnation. This is the death that the rich man last week was uh, suffering in the torments of hell. And we hear it'd be better if a millstone, and this isn't just like a, a little rock. This is a heavy rock that crushes grain and makes it small so that it can be used for, for cooking and various other things. And Jesus is saying it would be better if it was tied around the sinner's neck and he was cast out into the ocean and drowned and died. That is just horrific. And that is terrifying. Because once again, I have just openly confessed to you, dear listener, that I know my actions, my sinful actions have caused others to sin. What am I to do? Well, I'm sure like you, we quickly say, well, I repent. I am sorry. Jesus, God, forgive me. But the question is, what is the bigger implication that Jesus is mentioning here, that Jesus is talking about? Well, we have the surface uh, value of this, which would simply be that if you cause others to sin, repent. But if you continue to cause them to sin, that means that you continue to cause them to go move away from uh, the faith that has been given to them in, in and through the Holy Spirit, that you cause them to renounce the faith, to destroy faith, to destroy the relationship that one has with God through Christ in the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the bigger implication that Jesus is talking about. The actions of a sinner that would bring about the absolute death, and again, death and the damnation in the depths of hell aspect those are scary, scary things. And the sad thing is that this happens through the sinful inclinations. Now, there are some people that are very willful in how they try to deceive people, how they try to pull a people pull people away from the faith, from the promises of salvation in Christ. And so this is one of the bigger applications that Jesus is talking about and simply saying, don't be the one who causes people to fall away from the faith, to cause them to fall away from what has been given, to renounce the faith, to renounce the hope, to bring people into despair and the despair of being lost and condemned. 
Do not be that one, which means this is all the more reason to belong to the community of believers, to hold on to the gift of what you have as a blood-bought saint, repenting, turning away from our sinful inclinations, working to discipline ourselves, to hold on to the promises of salvation so that others will see not just the struggle, but the salvation, the promise, the gift, and the fact that Christ has overcome even our sin. Especially that last statement in, in verse 2 uh, should cause one of these little ones to sin. And this doesn't mean children. This doesn't mean actual uh, little people. It's talking about those who may be weak in faith, those who are struggling in faith those who are cherished by God. And we need to be careful that the way we live, the way we speak, the way we act as we claim to be Christians, is it really pointing to who and what we believe, what we hold on to? Do we say all the right words on Sunday, but then act contrary to what we confessed? And that's the hypocritical life, which, again, we are all guilty of. And here Jesus is pointing this out and showing us we need to repent. We need to be the ones who are the lights of the world, the salt of the world, those who reflect what Jesus has done in this world. We are the ones who have been made alive in baptism. We are the ones who have been made alive in the pronouncement of forgiveness. We are the ones who have God's righteousness put upon us as we participate and live in the life of Christ. And Jesus lays this out. And then verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And I, I love that last statement, you must forgive him. Because you know there was a disciple who said, really? Have you met my neighbor? Have you met my brother? I don't really think he's repenting. I think he's just giving me lip service. I think I'm going to withhold forgiveness. I don't think he means it. Or he hasn't met my standards of forgiveness. He hasn't made retribution. He hasn't done the right thing. Whatever you want to put on that. But Jesus actually makes forgiving a law. And this doesn't take away the gospel aspect of it. He is telling us that because we have been forgiven, and think of this just for a moment, how much are you forgiven by God? The simple fact that you have truly been snatched out of the depth, the jaws of death and hell. And the, uh, think of the, the littlest, the tiniest sin that you can think of that you've done. Even that earned you a front row seat in hell. Now think of the most horrific sin that you have done. And both of those have been forgiven and covered in the holy, innocent blood that Jesus spilt so that you would know true peace, that you would know true mercy. And if all of your sin has been forgiven, who are we to withhold that forgiveness from someone else 
Who is repenting? Who is working to not just better themselves, but to hold on to the salvation that has been given in Christ? Again, we are to reflect that mercy, that grace, that gift of the gospel, and to be commanded to forgive one another is simply God saying, be the person I have made you to be in your baptism. God is calling out your new nature, your new Adam, your new relationship with him. And that is the relationship of mercy, grace, forgiveness, of true life. And that is what you get to do by seeking ways to forgive, seeking ways to love. This is actually the freedom of the gospel. It's not about, fine, I forgive you. Or even on the other side, I'm sorry. Dear parents, how many times have you looked at your children and told them, say you're sorry? I'm sorry. No, say it like you mean it. I'm sorry. And again, you can't force this. But then again, you have God laying it out and saying, act like the person I have made you to be. And this becomes a reflection of the gift of the life that lives within you, the very life of Christ. And you get to forgive again and again and again and again because you have been forgiven again and again and again and again. But Jesus goes on to say, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, I have a brother pastor, Pastor Prum, and he said this thing that, that has, I've really wrestled with, that people will say, I pray to God to strengthen my faith. And he says, be careful with that, because God will give you the opportunity to exercise the strengthening of faith. That means testing. That means tribulations. That means trials and issues of the world that you get to exercise your faith. You get to have a stronger faith to make it through those various situations. And not that we have a God who is fickle or a God who likes to afflict, but this is how faith comes. It comes through hardship. It comes through trials, tribulations. It comes through the times and abilities and the places to further trust God. So again, be careful. Increase my faith, O God. And that is a good prayer. That is a good request. But no, it comes at the cost of dealing with your sin, other sin, the corruption of this world. It is really kind of having your eyes opened to the depths of the corruption and the cause and the implications and the consequences of sin and turning to God and saying, help me. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Hold me through the trials and tribulations of this world. And verse 6, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. 
Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what what was our duty. And again, this is an amazingly humble statement from our Lord. And this isn't God putting his thumb on you and saying, you are my slaves, do as I command, wait on me hand and foot and let me have the benefit of your work. This is God once again pointing out who you are. You are the servants of the Most High. And what has he commanded you to do? He has commanded you to live in the freedom, live in the love, live in the forgiveness of sins. He has commanded you to take the gifts of God and utilize, use, trust, and live them out. God has told you, go and live. C.F.W. Walther, he is the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and he wrote a book called The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel, and it's based off of Friday lectures that he was giving at the seminary, and he painted this verbal picture. You are out in the desert, and you are walking, you're lost, you're thirsty, you're hungry, you are on the brink of death. And behold, you come up to a house, and the owner of the house opens the door, and you smell all this wonderful food. You see ice-cold water, and your mouth, you don't just start salivating. You start drooling. Your stomach starts growling, and your body is just begging to be watered and fed. And then the owner stands in front of the door and then commands you. Go and eat. Are you going to be stubborn and say, you can't make me eat. You can't tell me what to do and return back to your wandering out into the the wilderness and the desert? Or are you going to understand that this command is the invitation to do what you need to do, to eat, to drink for life? This is what our Lord lays before you. Our Lord lays before you the life of service for your neighbor, to your neighbor. All the gifts that God has given to you, your mind, your brain, your time, your wealth, your whatever, is for the benefit of supporting and helping your neighbor. This is the sacrificial life, which is the cruciform life. That means that we form ourselves to what Christ has done, the ultimate servant. He said on several occasions, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And that is our model of this life. That is the sanctified, holy life, the life of righteousness, the life in God. And this is what our Lord tells us in this gospel lesson. And none of this is easy. It's not that we just have the light bulb of faith go off and that we get to now happily, joyfully, excitedly uh, give of ourself to our, our wife, our husband, our children, our family, our school, our church, our co-workers, our actual physical next-door neighbors, this random stranger on the street. 
This means that we now have the gift to do that. And we need to work to figure out how to do that in your daily life, in your community, in your church, in all the things. And this is the joy of vocation. How do you serve God in your gifts? How do you serve God in the blessings that he lays be, lays upon you? So with true rejoicing, your imagination is the only thing that holds you back. Go forth and serve. Go forth and forgive. Go forth and love as your faith is increased, as we recognize not only our sin, but the depths of God's love that covers our sins, opening up true life here and now and forevermore. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.